Welcome back to Brailcast, connecting the dots for Brailists everywhere. And coming up this time, an evening with George Bell. George Bell has been at the helm of Technovision Systems for at least 35 years. In that time, he's brought many blindness products to the UK market, repaired numerous machines which would have otherwise been condemned, and provided countless hours of technical support. He's particularly well known for his involvement with the Duxbury Braille Translator, not only as UK sales and support, but also through his tireless oversight of the documentation. He also enjoyed a very fruitful relationship with Dancing Dots and imported many products including the Goodfield Braille Music Translator. As we approach the end of George's long and established career, we thought it would be fitting to spend some time in conversation with him, picking out the highlights of the past three and a half decades and thinking about what the future might look like. This discussion took place in front of a live audience on Thursday the 1st of December 2022 and we're bringing you a recording of that discussion here on Brailcast today. George, a very, very warm welcome to Brailcast. Thank you very much for taking some time out to talk to us this evening. No problem. So I said that you've been involved at the helm of Technovision Systems for over 35 years. I say that because I went and looked on Companies House and uh, Technovision Systems was incorporated in 1987, I do believe. Um, it's fair to say that I think you'd had a career prior to 1987. I, I, I feel like your involvement with assistive technology started before Technovision started. So perhaps we could look back, you know, what what happened in the early days to sort of bring you into assistive technology and, and what was what led to the founding of Technovision Systems ultimately? Um, basically, uh, um, I realised there was a potential for providing better access to systems. And of course, at the time, there was only really JAWS. And uh, so I went off and started off on my own. Um, and it just grew from there. Sure. So you must have met a blind person at some point, or were you just always interested in blind people? Or what was it, you know, th that drew your attention in the first place to the idea that things could be done better? Um, well, I've got a whole list of, uh, of, well, a list of things here. Um, it was becoming pretty obvious that uh, a lot of people that were selling software and hardware didn't really know what it was all about. And uh, I'm afraid I'm one of these uh, old-fashioned guys that believes that uh, if you're going to sell something, you should be able to support it. Um, so that was where the whole thing started. And um, as I said, there seem to be more and more what I call box shifters uh, around. And um, I decided it was time that uh, somebody started trying to support this lot. So what was then the first blindness product that you sold? I mean, can you remember that far back? I know that Dave Williams would have loved to have been here tonight, and he remembers you selling the Eureka. Well, the Eureka was the, the first, and we, I think I've got something in the region of close on 1,200 or more Eurekas. And believe it or not, even after all this time, um, and I think it was one of the uh, one of the members here tonight who 
actually sent in three for repair and we were able to repair them. Goodness. And I mean, that really is a testament to how well products were built back then, but also to the quality of the staff that you've employed over the years. I know that you employ Kevin at the moment. Uh, has, has Kevin been there since the start as well? Pretty nearly. Um, he's a very, very good engineer. And um, <clears throat> somehow or another, he manages to fix things that you just don't expect to be fixed. And frankly, things like the old indexes, some people just want to print Braille. They don't, they're not bothered about all the fancy graphics, et cetera, et cetera. They just want to print two or three pages of Braille every now and again. And something goes wrong, they think it's broken, they think they need to buy a new one. The first question we usually ask when they've got uh, an existing one or admit that they've got an existing one is, what's wrong with it? What do you think is wrong with it? Well, it's not embossing. And then we go from there, we decide whether to either we may be able to do some communication you know, over the phone and fix it, or it may need to come back to us. So either which way. And I personally, it's the first thing on my list here. Um, repairing old stuff isn't just putting people out of business. That's not the uh, intention. Um, the intention A is to, you know, be as green as possible. Um, the second is that the when something as old as that is still working, I use that as a recommendation as to the quality of the device in the first place, um, you know, and uh, particularly the indexes um, are good embossers. They do go wrong, but everything else, you know, other products go wrong. Um, but it's good to be able to say, look, you know, you don't need to buy a new one. Or if you're thinking about buying a new one, um, great, you know. And I think the other thing to remember is that with the indexes, the originally for the first two years had a 200,000 page warranty. Now, quite a lot of people ring us up with a, with a dud one. And uh, when we finally get it working or uh, just during the investigation, we discover that very few actually are, are more than 30,000 copies. Well, if it's done 30,000 copies, there's still 70,000 technically left even though it's not officially under warranty because they're so old. Yeah, and that really is a testament, isn't it, to how um, over-specced, I suppose, in some ways, um, those index machines were, and as you say, um, the ability for you to get in and and fix those. Well, you see, what, what often happens is that uh, we might, um, you know, some people will send their, their old one back to us if they've decided that they want to need a new one. And that means that we can supply schools and whatnot where the school themselves can't afford to buy a new one, but they can at least, you know, have a secondhand one for a few hundred quid, which will, you know, do what they want it to do. So we're talking a lot about Braille embossers. The first product that you brought to the UK was the Eureka, which was actually a Braille display. No, no, the Eureka wasn't a Braille display. It was a Braille input device. It had a lot of, it had 16 different uh, functions from 
calculator, note taker, word processor, etc. And uh, I don't think there's been anything quite as com as you know comprehensive. Uh, although there are plenty of devices on the market. I suppose the modern day equivalent would be something like the Braille Note Touch or the Braille Sense 6, wouldn't it? Um, which is comprehensive, perhaps in a slightly different way. I think what set the Eureka apart for its time was just how advanced it was for, you know, for, for the mid-1980s. It was unfortunate, actually, that the reason the Eureka um, essentially went off the market was that we went from, you know, through a series of operating system upgrades to finally getting up to date with Windows. And uh, during that time, the <clears throat> mould for the case had been changed. Uh, when you make plastic moulds, they are very, very expensive. And um, unfortunately, by the time Windows came out, it was just too late to do anything. Yeah, which is the way that technology goes sometimes. And it's really unfortunate. I've got some old Braille technology here, which would keep going. But trying to find anything software-wise that supports it is really difficult. That's right. That's right. So moving, so you sold the Eureka. You've already said about index embossers. You also sold, I believe, the old enabling embossers and the the seal embossers actually out of Germany I think they were out of Germany anyway. Yeah, the teal was out of Germany, yeah. And at some point, you ended up becoming involved in Duxbury. So was that because you were selling embossers and needed a piece of software to drive them, or was it the other way around, or how did that happen? Well, you can't really drive a, um, an embosser properly without proper Braille translation software that sends the right um, codes, shall we say, out to an embosser. And um, it was fairly early on that we got involved with Duxbury. And Duxbury are a wonderful company to work with because, of course, Joe Sullivan, who's the president of Duxbury, um, has, you know, been working with Braille for years and years and years. <clears throat> In fact, it was when he was working with the American government, um, he was asked to do something which was against his principles. Um, because the organization he was working for were uh, developing uh, all sorts of nasty stuff. Um, and somehow or another, they allowed him to go off on his own and uh, develop a, a Braille package, which at the time was somewhere around $30,000. Well, he got working further into it and um, finally ended up producing Duxbury as a PC software, a PC software, and it just went from there. So by the time I got hold of it and got to understand it and others, you know, likewise, uh, we realized, first of all, that it was going to be used in schools, yet the documentation was all in text. Now, I don't know if you know much about teachers, but teachers can't usually read. <laughs> they want everything spoon-fed to them, don't they? <laughs> they do. And they like little pictures. And as I've just discovered, having bought a, an Epson ink printer, which prints CDs, which I need to do, um, they 
they just they, they they they'll say you know um, it wouldn't it wouldn't print and they'll say well if you open the printer on the left hand side you'll see four black levers uh, three uh, two black levers they'll be stuck up well I open the open the thing and look for the levers I can't see them well it'd be nice to have just had a little picture you know a stepping tool picture that would show me where these things are. But you wouldn't believe the carry on over the last three or four days to, to you know, uh, realize that the printer that I have been sent actually is faulty. I don't know what's wrong with it. They don't know what's wrong with it, but they're going to send me another one, which I'm hoping is going to arrive tomorrow. Now, if there'd just been a picture there, you know, I, I might have been able to sort it locally. But, you know, you can imagine a school teacher reading that for, for two, open the cover. Open the printer, rather. Well, how do I open the printer? You know, et cetera, et cetera. And this is going on all too often, and it's not just in the uh, in the blind side of things. So that's that's basically, you know, the sort of things that we've been up against. So your role then, I suppose, was to convert the documentation for Duxbury into a format that really sort of, you know, made sense to a broad church of people and was was not only had pictures in, but was navigable and things like that. You added the HTML help system in and all of that sort of thing. Yeah, that's right. And, uh, you know, that means that, as I said, um, if you ring up, I can't say to you, look at such and such a picture. Um, but if it's a school or a teacher, well, look at this, you know, this, this um, uh, section and you'll, see what I'm talking about. You'll see the, you know, what the menus or what the dialogue comes up looking like. Um, and, you know, off we go. So the task of doing that will have introduced you, I suppose, to the idea of styling up documents and using word properly and all of that sort of thing. Or perhaps you already knew about that and uh, writing the Duxbury documentation was... Uh, was what cemented it all but it's certainly something we need to talk more about now isn't it because people just don't do it well this is the beauty of it and uh, i've lost count of the number of uh, courses that i've done either face to face or remote where i've mentioned producing a table of contents and i remember one particular that, that really started me was when i had 21 people in the room and I mentioned table of contents in Word and therefore table of contents in Braille. And I thought everybody was, you know, going to collapse. It's just, what? You know, we didn't know you could do that. <laughs> and they've been, they actually all admitted that they hand typed a table of contents in Word. And I showed them how to produce one, which I had from a. Uh, it was a, it was one of Bill McCann's documents, actually. Um, I reformatted it to have heading one, two, and three in there, and I used that as a, as the example. And in less than ten seconds, it generated a seven and a half A4 print page of table of contents. And then I brought the document, not the table of contents from Word, I brought the text in from Word, translated it into Braille, produced the table of contents in Braille, which was perfectly accurate, again, in under 10 seconds or so, 
and you know people were just just couldn't believe it and that's why it's probably become the most popular braille translator in the uk certainly mm. well and throughout the world i mean you know the, the number of um international transcription agencies in the us and australia and indeed overseas uh, most of them i think at least one of the, the big braille producers in the country is going to be using duxbury for sure yeah and the other thing was that uh, when people sort of you know on the duxbury list if they had a problem and they reported it there duxbury would react to that very quickly and fix it and I mean, you know, within, you know, within a week or two, there might be a, um, an update posted, which fixed the problem and people were happy. I'm going to open it up for questions from the public in just a moment. Uh, there are other products, of course, we could talk about. I said at the start that you did uh, some work with Bill McCann um, at Dancing Dots, and perhaps the questions will will bring that out. Or we could come back to that a bit later. Um, you've also worked, of course, with uh, Ed Rogers, uh, bringing the Canute and the Cosmo. And you've, you've got a real sense, I think, of products that really are going to work in the UK and how to bring them to market. But um, the one other strand to your career, which I'm not sure is all that well known, um, but those of us who know you will, will know about it. I know that you've been around the world and I don't just mean, you know, to the US to visit Duxbury and, and places like that, though I'm sure you have. But, you know, I've spoken to you in the past about Braille in developing countries and technology in developing countries and how it all works and, and how it's so different to how we do things over here. Perhaps if you're able to just sort of give us a, a bit of information about that, a bit of the background, how, when did you first go to a developing country and how has that continued over the years? Well, initially it was to countries like South Africa, um, where you know they were at the time they were primarily interested in English Braille translation, but as we you know gone on a bit further, um, they started to ask about foreign uh, languages, and that's where David Holiday from Duxbury um, has in fact specialised in producing tables for different languages, and that's helped greatly to uh, promote it still further. And while you were over there, you must have learned a lot about Braille in all of these languages. I mean, David would have learned loads of writing, but you would have learned a fair old amount as well. And also, I suppose, the politics of the time, you know, we're, we're all sat over here talking about a UEB and should we do UEB or SEB? And, you know, over there, I imagine they're just glad to have whatever Braille they can get, right? Well, yes and no, because thankfully, English UEB has been, you know, promoted as, you know, how English should be produced. Forget the old standard, uh, what we, you know, you and I would know as the standard, you know, the old standard. Everything should be UEB now. And that's one of the things that we do promote, because if you're writing a letter in English uh, in Braille, to somebody who is in the UK um, and is relatively new to Braille and they've been learning UEB, they won't necessarily understand the old Braille format properly. So it's good to have a standard and say, this is how English Braille is produced, unified English Braille worldwide. Can I pop in, Matthew? Is Mike Townsend here? Um, that international dimension, I'm glad that you've raised it. 
because the first time I ever came in touch with George is because we were at Torch Trust involved in getting Braille to third world countries, particularly in Africa and also into the Far East. And who could we turn to? And it was George and Index Braille. And George has helped us uh, give Braille to probably over 30 odd countries all over the world, particularly, I would say, first of all, in Central Africa, in Malawi. And then I remember that the, the most difficult one was probably getting them out to uh, outer Mongolia. And um, George, you have supported Sister Catherine in Zambia immensely. Um, would you want to say something about that? No, Zimbabwe, actually. Yeah, Sister Catherine was a lovely lady. She was from Preston originally. Um, and absolutely wonderful. I mean, when she passed away, it was a very, very sad day because, uh, you know, she was one of my, uh, you know, people who I could go to and ask questions and so on and so forth. And she'd usually know the answer, surprisingly. But what was she doing? She was working in the school there in Zimbabwe, wasn't she? Uh, she was working in the Braille Library in, in Harare. She, in fact, she was in charge of it. Yeah, she was. But you helped uh, along the road to get Braille into that country. And that's one thing that you've done so well over these many years, George, is help lots and lots of people get Braille. But also you've, you've contributed uh, as part of the ICEB, International Council of English Braille. I um, was involved with you and you've helped a lot in, in helping to, people to understand the manuals and and get to the right solution for complex braille translations and that's that's something you've done for free and i think it's wonderful that you've done that have you liked doing that well it's been fun or not i'm not sure if fun is quite the right word because what i'm finding now is that um we're getting box shifters um who've sold Duxbury but don't know how to use it properly and instead of the customer going back to who they supplied it from and saying listen you sold me it you support it I'm finding that they're they're actually ringing up saying well I was talking to so-and-so the other day and he said to give you a call um, well where did you get it from and they'll tell me and it's not been us now I know that uh, certain people or at least one guy over here basically says, if you didn't get it, get a product from us, then you pay for support. And I, I try to resist that, but it's getting harder and harder. And that's what really ran me down um, earlier this year when I ended up spending time in hospital. It was just plain old fashioned overwork. Well, you do do that immensely, George, and you have given of your time so freely. Um, I can understand how um, sorting problems out for competitors can be a big challenge and a big problem. But you have helped people who've not been able to afford uh, Braille and made that immensely possible all across the world. And for that, um, I want to celebrate your service over these, these many long years. Oh, thank you, Mike. <laughs> many thanks. And also, George, you were visionary. And um, I remember when Microsoft gave us Windows 95, and that was a big challenge. And you rose to that challenge with Window Bridge. 
And I remember you um, and David coming to our contest when we ran the contest between screen readers. I set it up with Richard Orme in Birmingham and you were there with uh, David and the, the product was doing very, very well. Sadly, David died and, and it didn't get any further. But you, you you were involved in that, too. It wasn't just Jaws in the early days. There was a whole bunch of stuff around and uh, you were in that field. Is that a good time for you? Yes. I mean, you know, I've always been a believer in trying to know what you're selling as well as possible. As I said, there are too many box shifters. And, um, uh, you know, it annoys me that uh, they're even allowed to sell um, unless they can support. I mean, I was quite happy to go over to over to the States to learn more. Um, you know, and I did, and that's when I, you know, built up a, you know, what became a very close relationship, or has, is a very close relationship with Duxbury, and they realised that I was prepared to, you know, to provide that support. Indeed. Well, thank you very much, Mike, for all of those very interesting uh, questions, which certainly brought out things that I wouldn't have thought to bring out. Um, I'd like to introduce Ben Mustill-Rose at this point. Uh, ben is one of our trustees at the Brailist Foundation, but is also responsible for moderating the Zoom meeting tonight. So he's pressing the buttons behind the scenes and is going to uh, take over for a little bit and introduce questions from the audience. Yes, well, thank you for that, Mike. Uh, really, really interesting insight into uh, the, the early days. Uh, so now let's bring it back to the audience. If you have a question for George, a veteran of the Braille and assistive technology industry, or maybe if you have an anecdote of uh, Mr. Bell himself, let's try and keep it relatively family friendly if we could. Um, hands coming in thick and fast. We're going to go to Stuart first. And uh, then, uh, no pressure, George, after Stuart, we're going to go to Dancing Dots. Uh, Stuart, uh, you are good to go. Uh, thank you, um, Ben, and good evening, George. It's Stuart Lawler of Sight and Sound and formerly of uh, the National Council of the Blind here in Ireland. And just really wanted to very quickly thank you. You came to Dublin many years ago to us, I think around 2006, and you amongst other things, fixing our index embossers, you also took your hand to fixing an old VersaPoint that none of us could get working for years. And you got that working and we drank many glasses of uh, orange juice and other things. So sincere thanks for, for, all that, for all that you've done over the years. And we hope to see you in Ireland again in the future. Hopefully, yeah, yeah. Thank you for that, Stuart. Love that. And, uh, you know, as, as Matthew mentioned, a, a great uh, a great service in terms of getting existing devices up and running back again, because, you know, these these devices are often not cheap. I'm going to go to Dancing Dots next. Um, as I say, any questions for George? If you maybe want to know a bit about how things were historically, you know, maybe if your only experience of, of assistive technology is, is an iPhone, maybe be, for example. Um, great opportunity to quiz George about uh, the historical impact of AT and of course Braille and Duxbury and the like. Um, Going to come to Dancing Dots now and uh, Dancing Dots you are unmuted. Hey everybody this is Bill McCann from Dancing Dots and uh, I want to say hello to George and on behalf of so many people to thank him for so many years of service you know when I think of George, well, first of all, 
I enjoy the title of this thing, An Evening with George Bell, because I can say, I've, like Stuart just mentioned, I've enjoyed a lot of evenings with George Bell um, over the years um, in, in his country. And um, um, I'm phone, well, I'm zooming in from the US, but we've had a lot of fun. But the one thing, I was thinking of a few things to sum up George, and as people have said, he's about taking care of people. And if you're his customer, he's, he's very loyal to you. Um, and he also, what makes it even better, he actually knows what he's doing, um, which is not always the case. But uh, the other thing I was thinking about, about George, is hospitality. Uh, very seriously, we've had a lot of evenings. But you know, if you went to a meeting that George organized, there was going to be tea. There were going to be sandwiches and biscuits uh, and maybe something stronger to drink later. Uh, there, it was always fun. You know, there was always a, a social side of it, um, which, which I really, really love uh, and doesn't happen all the time. And then, you know, I tease George uh, about his uh, passion uh, in, but somebody said, you can't do anything worth doing without enthusiasm. George has it. He's always had it. Um, it borders on passion and sometimes it gets a little loud and a little opinionated, but it's there and you got to love it. So again, George, thanks for, for all of it. And, uh, just wishing you well from, from the U S and, uh, you know, hope whatever, whatever the next phase is, the next step is that you'll enjoy it. Uh, well deserved. Oh, thanks for that, Bill. While you're unmuted, it would be good to put Bill and George um, in conversation for a bit longer because I know um, you've had a very good product relationship for a long time. I mean, can you remember either of you actually when it was that sort of Dancing Dots products first came to the UK? And you know, what, what how did that first meeting go? I think George called me uh, back in '97. We were blessed to get. Uh, some attention from the Associated Press. And I'm not sure if it was that or my my dear late friend, John Henry, who connected me with George, or if George just decided to give me a call. But he, basically, George invited me to Site Village. I think it was 98, was it, George? Um, I'm just trying to look up. Uh, we'll see when we sold our first one. Uh, believe it or not, Good feel version 3.2 music braille plus lime etc. 28th of August 2008. Right, but that was that 3.2 came a lot later. I think the first one you sold for us was maybe even 1.2 or or 2.0 or something rather. Well, I've got 2.6 to 3. Well, that goes back to 2005. That was an upgrade. So that I bought 2.6 before that. Well, actually, our first release of Goodfeel in 1997, it, it ran on DOS, as a matter of fact. Um, and very quickly, we got over to Windows thereafter. But um, You didn't have a lot of choice, really, did you? Yeah, we didn't have a lot of choice. Uh, and it was, I think we got over to Windows in 98. And I believe it was summer of 98 that we came over to Birmingham for the first time. And it was very exciting uh, to introduce the software. And as I said, George made sure that I met the right people. And in fact, I think he may have had something to do with later on. I think it was that fall I came back and we got interviewed on the BBC uh, World Service. And, uh, 
and the uh, In Touch program. Um, it was really a very exciting time. And uh, again, I just really appreciate what George did to kind of facilitate that and, um, and make sure that, that things kind of went smoothly. Uh, and, uh, you know, now Goodfield's in, in use in 52 countries. And, uh, and George, I know, took it to some other countries besides the UK. So been a great adventure. Thank you for that, Bill. Um, hands coming in thick and fast now. So I'm going to go to Ed next. Uh, Ed, you are now unmuted. Thank you. Hi, George. Hi, Ed. Uh, I just wanted to share some of the, the stories that we had in trying to get the Canutes out and working and uh, mentioned that George was one of the first people to come on board as a distributor well before the machine actually worked, as far as I remember. Um, and sticking with it through some fairly hairy, not not working scenarios as well. So, and that takes someone who cares quite a lot about about the the final reason you're doing something, which is about which is about getting as much braille to people in as many different circumstances, however they want it, uh, and even being prepared to take quite large risks on that. Uh, and oh, uh, George, am I right in saying you're one of the people who started Site Village as well? I'm sure that got. I started, yeah, I did start Site Village. I wish I hadn't uh, given up. Well, and that, and that, of course, inspired Site City, which is possibly one of the first places I met you in. You bought me an English breakfast in Site City once. On the, I was, uh, uh, hadn't, hadn't got enough euros for it or something. So, yeah, Unfortunately, it's now just become a fundraiser for QAC, Queen Alexandra College, which is rather sad. But at the same time, there's been a lot of site villages and a lot of site cities, and that's as a result of you deciding that there should be a place where there's somewhere that people can collectively go to look at this technology, because it's all about getting as much Braille to people as possible. Yeah, yeah. Thank you for your kind words there, Ed. I'm going to go to Koal, and uh, Koal, you are now unmuted. Hi, George. I just wanted to say thank you very much for everything you've done. I remember particularly one day when I used to work at the RNIB, um, you helped me with something that was going wrong with Duxbury. And um, everybody said, George knows everything. So James got involved and you came and helped us. And you were there, you were there for, uh, you know, you did above and beyond your duty of call. So I want to say how much I appreciate what you've done. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, too. Thank you. Um, George, I... Well, firstly, thank you for that, Koal. Um, George, I had a question for you, actually. Um, I, uh, as, as, a, uh, as an avid user of the Opticon, uh, one of my first uh, encounters, if you will, of you was um, when you posted on this, probably about sort of 10 years ago or so, 10, 15 years ago, where you had managed to track down 20 Opticons and you'd got them refurbished. Now, unfortunately, um, that was uh, slightly beyond my price point at the, uh, at the time. Um, I just wondered, I, I mean, well, I guess it's in two parts. Do you have any interesting recollections of the Opticon? And um, do, do you think that, you know, you talk about getting vintage tech, um, you know, still going. Do, do you think there's a, a place for it today? And do you think we've lost something um, compared to what we have now, you know, in relation to things like the Opticon? Well, I have to say that this is where 
we come into this shift, this business of box shifters. I find it absolutely incredible that the main distributor now for index does not know or is not able to repair older ones. And this resulted in my, my first argument, shall we say, with them, which was quite ferocious, was that they were saying, oh, no, if the index hasn't got a USB port, it, you'll need to buy a new one, which my response began with B and ended with S. I can fix that problem for £15. And I complained to one of the management there. And uh, he uh, was rather embarrassed by that. Um, but, you know, at the end of the day, um, the customers that did that were absolutely delighted. And, you know, we'd rave about, you know, how good the indexes were. And uh, this is the sort of thing that, you know, we've been up against. Um, and what, else, what can I say? Um, this, you know, we can still repair the very, very old uh, indexes. And quite often we get somebody who's dragged one out of a cupboard from school and said, well, we can't get it working. And Kevin's had it here, fixed it, sent it back. And the school was as happy as pigs in the proverbial. Sounds sounds perfect. And uh, as as a bit of a as a bit of a sort of amateur archivist, um, do, do you have any interesting views on the Opticon from the? And uh, now I'm I'm saying this as someone who uh, was was born um, at a time where the Opticon was already going out of fashion. So if you have any sort of interesting insights, and I uh, as someone as a as a '90s kid, if you will, um, who is very much appreciative of of the Opticon, but is still. Uh, nevertheless, a '90s kid. If you have any insight around that, I would uh, I would love to hear it. Well, <clears throat> it would be marvelous if somebody, you know, if a you need to find out what sort of potential there is, and b somebody who that same person uh, would be able to to train people on it. The big cost, of course, is that everybody expects everything for nothing. Um, but nevertheless, you know, there is a, you know, there is a, a need out there where people have an Opticon or access to one and don't know how to use it properly. I think just as a, a quick aside, um, I, I, my, my day job is, is a software engineer. I work on a, a product that is actually uh, <laughs> entirely inaccessible to me. And the way that I figure out, uh, A, whether the stuff I'm uh, building is working, and also B, uh, if I'm doing the layout correctly, is to put my uh, faithful Opticon up to a TV screen and, uh, and very slowly, but also very effectively, read out the uh, read out the text on that screen i've just noticed ben uh, before we wrap up we've had a question from jane sellers in the chat um something that we don't talk about of course uh, but we probably should talk more about uh, if you are uh, in the market for an embosser you're also in the market for braille paper and uh, if you're going to sell a braille embosser then you really ought to sell some braille paper to go along with it and uh, you george for many years have done just that and have sold what certainly I believe, and many other people believe to be some of the best Braille paper on the market, certainly on this side of the Atlantic. And uh, obviously there's there's talk of perhaps, uh, there was talk of you retiring in December. Clearly uh, that's not going to happen. But, you know, when you do retire, where do people get uh, this fantastic Technovision paper from? 
No, it's it's not it's not that. Um, I I had been planning to uh, you know considering retirement, but uh, um, we actually have got a reasonable order book at the moment. That's provided I can get some of the uh, more regular equipment suppliers to send me equipment that works, not like Epson at the moment. But uh, uh, no, I think I'm, I think I'm going to try and carry on for a little bit yet. Otherwise, what am I going to do? Sit at home and watch TV? Well, it's not particularly good quality TV at the moment, is it? But the question still stands: Where do we get Technovision paper from? We will be getting some in um, in the not too distant future. The trouble is that we've got people who want uh, the wide as well as the narrow, and we have to buy it in lots of a hundred thousand. And we don't make a lot of uh, money on it. Otherwise, it'd be up to about £50 a thousand sheets or more even. Um, I don't know yet, but I know I have got plans to to get some. Well, that's uh, certainly a relief. There's, it's more than just Jane that likes the uh, the Technovision paper. And uh, if we ever do retire, we'll have to have a conversation about where you buy it from wholesale and see if we can uh, persuade somebody else to take that on, because it really is uh, fantastic quality. So we're now approaching the end of our conversation. As I alluded to a few minutes ago, there's no more uh, questions from the audience. But I do have two questions for you, George, before we wrap things up completely. The first of which is probably, I suppose, the easier to answer. If you had to look at sort of the career that you've had, are there any particular moments of it that stand out to you as being, you know, particular career highlights? You know, we all talk about the golden years you know, what were the golden years for you? What were the the, the, the highlights of that career? I think, uh, to be honest, you know, getting together with Duxbury to the extent that we have done um, has been great because rewriting the help files, the way I like help files written, proved that, to me anyway, proved that, you know, I was, I was right. <laughs> you know, put little images in for the teachers. Um, and use snipping tool. A lot of a lot of people didn't even know that snipping tool existed in Windows. Uh, what was your second question? Yeah, that I suppose if you had a crystal ball, if you were looking into the future of technology for the blind, you know whether it's Braille technology or assistive technology, where's it got to go now? You know what what's the next steps for assistive technology in I don't know ten, twenty, thirty years time. Well, I think the first thing that's got to happen is that it's got to be mandatory that it should be accessible. This is mainstream technology has got to be accessible. Mainstream technology. In all too many cases, things are easy to fix. An unlabeled button is what exactly what it says. It's unlabeled. To add a label is simply a question of, you know, uh, typing in the words that will describe that particular button. It's not difficult, and I personally, I believe it should be mandatory. Um, if you're going to produce, you know, good uh, good documentation, um, it's not even just the blind that advantage, you know, will have that advantage um, or benefit. Um, there are lots of others. I mean, I see buttons on the screen where it says "press the button below," and there's just a, you know, there's just a an oblong on the screen, no name on it. And you've got to find it. <laughs> I'm sure you've all come across that problem. 
<laughs> so it's it's just it's making mainstream technology accessible. We've got to that point. I mean, I, I tend to agree with you, but essentially, you're saying if mainstream technology developers just sat up and pay a bit of attention. Yeah, I mean, there are some that just don't think it's necessary. You know, oh, the screen reader will handle it. Well, I'm sorry, but not all screen readers can. Not unless you follow certain certain uh, rules. Well, it's been a fascinating evening. Um, thank you, George, for coming in and spending some time with us uh, today. Um, very pleased to hear that Technovision Systems will be continuing uh, for a bit longer and that the, uh, the, the, the paper will still be in stock for a bit longer to come <laughs> and that all of the other products and product support that we've all become accustomed to will, will still be going on. So, George, thank you very much for, uh, for your time. Okay, take care. Bye. And that just about concludes this episode of Brailcast. Uh, my thanks to George Bell, of course, and also to Ben Mustelrose for being there behind the scenes, pressing the buttons and uh, queuing up the audience questions. Just before we go, though, a reminder that you do still have time to register for our events for World Braille Day. We have two of them. Uh, the first one in the morning is called Six Dots to Success. It's a conference mostly aimed at professionals, uh, but uh, users are welcome as well. It's ran in collaboration with Sight and Sound Technology and will last uh, just about three and a half hours, uh, quarter past nine till quarter to one. Uh, so do please register for that. And in the evening, Braille Technology Throughout the Ages, uh, which starts at 7pm uh, on the 4th of January. Uh, you will need to register for both of those and you can find all of the information at braillists.org forward slash news. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of Braillecast, the official podcast of the Braillists Foundation. You can find more Braille-related content by subscribing to Braillecast, all one word, in your podcast client of choice or listening to Brailcast, connecting the dots for Brailists everywhere on your smart speaker. You can also find past episodes on our website at brailcast.com. If you have comments on the podcast or suggestions of topics or guests for future episodes, we'd love to hear from you. Please email help at brailists.org. You can also find the Brailists on Twitter at Brailists or on Facebook, facebook.com slash Foundation. Finally, if you like what you've heard, spread the word. New listeners are always welcome. So if you know other people who are interested in Braille, please tell them where to find us. In the meantime, on behalf of everyone at the Braillists, thanks for listening and bye for now. The costs of producing this episode were defrayed by a grant from the Activate Fund of the Winston Churchill Memorial Trust. For more information, visit wcmt.org.uk.